0: Hello and welcome to the Sincere Yogi Podcast, a podcast for yogis just like you who are seeking more from their yoga practice that you can't get in your average studio class. My name is Sarah and I'll be your host. Hello, yogis, and welcome back to the podcast. We're here for part two of 28 things that I have learned in eight years as a yoga teacher and practitioner. So, if you haven't listened to part one, I highly recommend backtracking and listening to the first 14 of 28 things that I've learned before diving into this episode. Now, if you have listened, you know that these are in no particular order but it gives you a little bit more context for what you can expect within this episode. And with that, we're going to dive right into number 15. And number 15 is pranayama, then shavasana, and then meditation. So pranayama is breath work, and there's multiple different pranayamas that you can practice both before, during, and after your yoga asana practice pranayama is the act of controlling or manipulating energy with your breath. And a very common pranayama that most practitioners are familiar with or will learn within their first year or so of practice is nadi Shodana, And nadi Shodana is alternate nostril breathing, This particular pranayama balances out the right and left side of your body or the energetic channels of the right and left side of your body. And that's just one example of the pranayama practice. So practicing breath work before you move into shavasana. Practicing breath work at the end of your asana practice, practicing pranayama before you take shavasana, helps to rebalance the energetic channels of your body. We also know that breath work can be extremely beneficial for your mind and help soothe your central nervous system. So, practicing a grounding pranayama like nadi Shodana before you take shavasana, allows your body and mind to fully relax in that space of awareness, observance, and ultimately absorption. Now, sometimes our yoga practice feels really great, and we might not feel like we need to ground ourselves or rebalance before we go into shavasana. However, there are also days where our asana practice feels like a chore We might be aggravated by something that came up on our mat, and that's totally normal and fine, but having that aggravated energy going into Shavasana makes finding that calm, quiet space a little harder. So by practicing that pranayama, we're able to let go of our asana practice, rebalance our body and mind if anything aggravating came up on our mat. And then we're able to better observe and ultimately absorb all of that goodness that a solid meditative Shavasana can bring. Now, after we practice Shavasana, we should sit up and then practice meditation. It usually happens somewhat spontaneously. And by that, I mean because we've cultivated that focus and concentration on your yoga mat, when you were doing your asana practice, and because you then grounded and rebalanced with that pranayama, you fall into that meditative state in shavasana a lot more easily because you've let out those fluctuations in your mind, you've let out any energy in your body, and you're able to just sit and be and allow yourself to relax. But then moving from shavasana and sitting up in a meditation brings us back to that First point of focus. It helps us reconnect with our body, reconnect with the physical world, and allow us to bring some of that focus and intention that we just created on our mat in our practice and keep that with us moving forward. Which brings us to number 16, which is the difference between Pratyahara dharana, and dhyana, which are some of the last few limbs of the yoga practice. Now, I've touched on this before in previous podcast episodes, and I'm sure I'll do an entire episode on this alone as we dive deeper into these concepts, but a brief overview because this tends to be confusing for most people who are learning the eight-limbed path and trying to understand what meditation really is. Pratyahara is the first glimpse at reining in the mind and not allowing ourselves to run away with these stories or mind chatter that we often have in our daily lives. Pratyahara is the act of coming back to refocus. It's not the act of focusing itself. It's the act of recognizing your are unfocused in the first place and bringing that into awareness so that you can then Focus, which is Dharana. Dharana is really what most of us are practicing when we are sitting to meditate. And by that, I mean most of us will do some type of visualization or a concentration on our breath, maybe tune into our body, but we've got some sort of focal point to guide us a little deeper into our being. So, Dharana is the actual act of focusing and using those things to anchor us into this meditative experience. And then we get to dhyana. And dhyana is the act of meditation, but it's more so a spontaneous act. We don't have to use these anchors or focal points to find that deep space of presence and awareness without the chatter and mental fluctuations. Now, this is something that can spontaneously happen as a result of focusing, as a result of asana, but eventually, in the eight-limbed path, when we are on this limb of dhyana, we have taken this meditative frame of mind out of practice and into our everyday life. It becomes our natural state. And this is something that we will talk about again in another episode and a concept that will continuously come up in conversation But on to the next, and if this isn't a sign that none of this is in any particular order, I don't know what is. Number 17 is invest in a good yoga mat. Super simple, but it makes a world of a difference. Now, I will say first and foremost, you don't need a good yoga mat to practice yoga, and you don't necessarily even need a yoga mat to practice yoga, but... If you are going to have a daily yoga practice and you can afford a good yoga mat, it is 110% worth it. I did half of my yoga teacher training on a $20 Target yoga mat. And while it was challenging because it didn't have a lot of grip, and when I was sweaty, I would slip, I did find that having a slippery yoga mat actually forced me to understand some of the isometric engagements in the hands, in the legs, in the arms, in Downward Facing Dog and allowed me to have a little more awareness in my hands and feet as a whole as a practitioner, because I couldn't rely on the grippiness of the mat to keep me in place. So, while it was a good learning point, when I finally did invest in my very first good yoga mat, actually, it was gifted to me, it made a world of a difference. I did feel like I was able to worry less about the engagements in my hands and my feet. And while I was still aware and grounded in these spaces, I was able to bring that level of focus and attention to other areas in my body that needed realignment or needed to understand certain movements and engagements. On top of that, a good yoga mat usually lasts a little bit longer than one of those thin, cheaper mats. And if you're going to be using it more days out of the week than not, it's best to just invest in yourself, buy the good mat, you know you'll put it to use then, And give yourself that gift of having a nice space to practice. I personally love my yoga mats. I will say that some of my mats are like a second home. So knowing that, I want to make sure that I treat myself with something nice that's going to be easy on my body and help me get through the process of the postures with a little bit more grace. And that brings me to number 18, and that is stay curious and playful Now, because most of us came to yoga through the asana practice, that element of curiosity and wanting to explore this practice within your own body is usually already there. But I will say that everyone gets challenged by postures in their practice that frustrates them and makes them want to give up or quit. And if you practice long enough, you will reach this point somewhere along the line. Now, it's important to keep that element of curiosity and playfulness alive and to not take the physical practice so seriously. There's so many reasons why we practice the asana, but it's never a performative reason or to be the best at moving your body in and out of these shapes. So much of the asana practice is really about the internal mechanics, the energetics, the breath everything else that's going on that we can't see. So when we are stumped in a posture and we feel like we'll never be able to perform it or we'll never be open enough in our hamstrings for splits or open enough in our shoulders for backbends, it's important to A, be okay with never being able to potentially do a posture, but but never allow that to deter you from continuing to try and explore these spaces. Which brings me to number 19, and that is always keep a journal on hand. Now, I have two or three journals at home for my personal practice, for teaching, for writing down notes when I'm reading a book. Not only is this good as a teacher to be able to review some of my experiences and information and bring that into my teaching, but as a practitioner, I love going through my old notes and my journals from the time when I was first discovering yoga. Oftentimes, I find tidbits of information that resonate with me on a totally different level, or I see how far I've come in certain practices, so it's nice to reflect and get all of your experiences and thoughts on paper and revisit some of those lessons as you progress through your practice. Moving on to number 20. So Bandhas are loosely translated to gates or locks. And in our body, we can perform Bandhas through muscular engagement. And this helps regulate the movement of energy within your body. Mula Bandha and Uddiyana Bandha are utilized frequently in the Ashtanga yoga method, and most teachers will reference Mulabandha and Udayana Bandha in Hatha and Vinyasa style classes as well. Not only are these engagements great for energetic work, but they also help build stability within the postures and tap into the deepest part of our abdominal muscles, and by doing so, this helps build that internal awareness as a whole. Bandhas are also practiced with pranayama, with breath work, and help make that breath work so much more effective. So when we add the bandhas to our physical practice, when we add breath work to our physical practice, we're moving out of this idea of the postures being a strictly physical thing and into the deeper energetics of the yoga practice as a whole. Now, there are multiple Bandhas within our bodies, but Mula Bandha, Uddiyana Bandha, and then Jalandhara Bandha are the three major Bandhas that are typically referenced in Ashtanga and other modalities of yoga. And this ties so perfectly into the next lesson, and this ties so perfectly into the next lesson of And this ties so perfectly into 21, and that is that your breath is powerful. Now, we've talked about what pranayama is and the idea of breath work regulating the energy centers in the body or being able to manipulate the body's prana or vital life energy. And it's not just pranayama and that regulation of energy that makes our breath so powerful. Our breath is incredibly powerful at soothing our central nervous system, at easing our mind, and is what allows us to have a clear level head when we are challenged or going up against fear. And this translates directly to the asana practice. When we are challenged in a posture, when we experience an intense sensation or emotion maybe in our body in a posture, we use our breath to help soothe our mind and work our way through any tension, any stress, or any sensations that our body might be presenting. Now, breath with Bandhas is even more powerful and that deals with the energetic work of the Bandhas in general and how the Bandhas then redirect the energy that we are cultivating or manipulating through our breath. So that link of breath and Bandhas is a very sacred link and what allows us to reach these higher states of consciousness in the end. And ultimately, why practices such as pranayama and meditation come after the asana practice. Your asana practice is used to help clear the energy centers in your body to help create space in your body for energy to flow, among many other things. And the bandhas are utilized in your asana, as well as your breath work as well as your meditation. Moving on to lesson 23... Your brain is just a tool. All of these concepts that we've been talking about, the yamas, the niyamas, talking about breath work, focus, concentration, the idea of meditation and letting go of the mental chatter and stories that we tell ourselves, this all brings us back to the concept of our brain being separate from our being, from our soul, our consciousness, our higher self, of course we need our brain in order for our body and mind to function, and thoughts that happen in our mind are not necessarily the sum of who we are. Ultimately, it's that observer, that self, that makes the choice of how we respond to the stimulus of the brain and the external world. So our brain is a tool because it helps us in these areas of concentration, in these areas of deep internal focus, and of course in our body and motor function. So this is not to discredit the role our brain plays in our body. Our brain is just another aspect of our physical being that helps us navigate this earth but will be left on this earth when our body is done and our soul departs. And this recognition that our brain is a tool is important and it makes it so much easier to then challenge some of these thoughts and and really start to recognize and discover what that consciousness and soul self truly is. Now we're on to 23. Lesson number 23, you can't bypass your emotions. This seems counterintuitive, especially as we just talked about the brain being a tool and us having the choice of how we respond to the stimulus of the brain and our external circumstances, our outer world. However, our emotions are something that we feel internally, and it can happen from external circumstances, but you can't bypass that internal feeling or sensation that emotions bring to the surface. That is an energetic experience. Now, oftentimes, when we are experiencing something troublesome on our yoga mat, we can try to plow through this experience by pretending like it's not affecting us and ignoring that sensation or experience by running out of that pose or maybe letting your mind wander off to a distraction. Now, the more that we ignore or run away from this, the more that that sensation is just going to grow, and we know that when we bottle up our emotions, when we ignore these feelings, eventually it's just going to bubble up and burst or slowly seep out into every other aspect of our lives. For example, for example, anger that we ignore in one moment can present itself hours later through a simple frustration that we then overreact to because we didn't allow ourselves to feel that anger in the first place. Similar to sadness or grief. If we are ignoring sadness or grief, oftentimes this seeks into other aspects of our lives and we end up crying over something so simple and we don't know where these tears came from. So always making sure that you give your emotions recognition, those sensations, those feelings, and that you allow yourself to be present within them. Because when you allow yourself to be present within them and express them, you can then start to move through them, identify them, and make choices as to how you want to move forward. And this ties into lesson 24, and that is to ensure that you're not getting too consumed in your emotions, that you forget the power of your own essence. So it's a fine balance here between recognizing your emotions, allowing yourself to experience them, and also acknowledging your observer status and your power of choice in the situation. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's normal to feel these things. And how do you want to carry that with you as you move forward? Sometimes that looks like reaching out to a friend and moving past this grief to be able to find some joyful moments, giving yourself that time to explore other emotions. Other times it might look like taking an honest. Other times this looks like recognizing that grief, allowing ourselves to feel it, and continuing to move forward with whatever task we have on hand regardless. Now, this doesn't mean we ignore that grief, but it shows us that we're still capable of showing up, being present, and being human while experiencing some of these more intense emotions. Moving on to number 25. Having an equanimous mind does not mean that we have no thoughts. Now I know I've used the word equanimous or equanimity a few times on this podcast, in my writings, in my teaching, and I know other teachers refer to this as well. In its simplest form, we can look at cultivating equanimity as being very level-headed, as not really categorizing things as good or bad, but simply looking at things for what they are. That lack of judgment and that lack of compartmentalization really helps with the bird's eye view overall perspective, which comes from that idea of oneness. Now, from a more philosophical, or Buddhist perspective, equanimity is the recognition of this transient life, knowing that life has this natural ebb and flow to it and not feeling the need to categorize it in any way. It's stepping out of that ego, that self-perception, and stepping into that greater idea of oneness. It is with this equanimous mind that we really start to have that zest for life, that we start to view things from a very compassionate, loving space, and a space of freedom because we no longer have the attachment to good and bad, recognizing the greater karmic patterns of the universe. Cultivating an equanimous state of mind is similar to cultivating a state of meditation. And it's something that once we start to have this frame of mind, it's not often lost. Of course, as we're just starting off in our journey and our practice, we'll have glimpses of this equanimous mind. Anybody can have glimpses of an equanimous mind. And at the same time, the more that we practice, the more these glimpses of equanimity become prevalent until eventually we haven't even tried, we just wake up in that equanimous state of mind. Now this then leads to those levels of nirvana or samadhi or enlightenment as we talked about in the episode where we discussed the eight-limbed path of yoga. So don't beat yourself up if you're not there yet. This takes a long time to cultivate. So always give yourself that grace as we move through these concepts, which really should be a lesson in and of itself. So you know what? I'm going to make that lesson number 26 and that is always give yourself grace. Now, we've talked about having a time to be compassionate and forgiving yourself, and we've talked about having a time to be a little more tough love and push yourself towards your edge. But Whatever you do, always give yourself grace to make mistakes because you're not perfect. They will happen. Some of these concepts can be very challenging to move through, and you have to be willing to make mistakes in order to move forward in the path of life, but also in your spiritual practice. Now that we got that out of the way, let's move on to number 27, and that is that your intuition is always there you're just not always listening. So similar to how once you start to cultivate an equanimous state of mind, once you start to bring your awareness to things like the yamas and the niyamas, you don't lose that awareness. Sometimes it's just whether or not you're actively listening to that awareness in the first place. Now this is similar to like a toddler or a pet that Actively listens to what you say and chooses to ignore things that they don't want to do, even though they can hear you. We do that to ourselves all the time, especially when it comes to our intuition. How many times have we known better about something, maybe even gotten that premonition or feeling that we shouldn't follow through with something, and then we do, and whatever it is goes terribly wrong, and we're like, dang it. I knew it, and I should have listened to myself. Sometimes that's more instinct than intuition, but it's a great example of how you don't lose these things once they're there. You're just not always aware of them, or you're actively choosing to ignore them, which can be a hard pill to swallow, but going back to having grace for yourself, it's all a part of the process. And that brings us to the final point, and that is number 28, You can't go backwards in your spiritual journey, only forwards. Even when you feel like you're going backwards or you've lost progress, you're really gaining more lessons from previous experiences. Now, this is something that is so important to keep in mind because there will be times where we are really in tune and really balanced and aware and our intuition is on point. And then there will be times where we feel like a discombobulated mess and like we've lost all sorts of progress. But once you start to build awareness of your behaviors, your thoughts, your patterns, once you start to play around with that observer frame of mind, you never lose these concepts. You just choose when you want to use these tools and not. And that goes all the way back to the power of choice and being the divine conscious beings that we are and cultivating that power for our spiritual practices. Wow, this episode was a lot longer than the last one, and I thought I was gonna be super concise, but these concepts are all a lot to digest. There's so many different directions that we can go when we talk about these lessons, and I'm excited to dive deeper into all of this stuff in future episodes, sharing my journey with all of you, and hearing your feedback on your personal journeys as well. As always, thank you again so much for tuning in and listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating, subscribe. Every little bit helps so that I can continue to create content for you. I hope that you were able to learn a few things from my years of experience as an instructor and a teacher and that you got some good lessons out of this episode. Thanks so much again for tuning in and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining me on the Sincere Yogi podcast. If you want to deepen your yoga and meditation practice, check out my workshops and masterclasses on the Playbook app, or join my guided meditation series on Insight Timer. If you just want to stop by, say hi, and see what's up, you can find me at The Sincere Yogi on Instagram.